The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Welcome back. This is part two of our tradecraft analysis of 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. This episode also serves as our overall analysis of Roger Moore in the James Bond role. In part one, we discussed on the villain, his henchmen, and the various other sub-characters that have created a situation that Bond needs to handle. If you missed out on part one, there's a simple solution. You might want to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app so that you can always stay caught up with us. That's right, Dave. So now we are ready to tackle the heroes of the film, both James Bond and his tag-along Russian super spy, Triple X. Are they going to find a way to set aside their Cold War differences in order to save all of humanity? Spoiler alert! They do! But exactly how they do it, that's going to be the subject of this episode of Spies Like Us. Now let's talk about uh, Agent Triple X a little bit. Uh, Major Anya Amasova. Uh, starting with, I really loved the way they introduced her in this film. Right. The way they kind of try to trick you into thinking it's the guy in the bed that's Triple uh, X. And, and then when she responds, I was like, okay, fuck yeah. Um, right. She is, she's interesting because... You know, in our 1961 from Russia with Love, the the uh, the Bond girl is a Russian agent, not an especially talented one, and her whole mission instructions just seem to be just do whatever James Bond says. Right. <laughs> not very interesting. Right. Uh, with with Amasova. There's at least some nods. So it's like 16 years later, it's 1977. At least there's some nods to female empowerment in mm. comparison. But at the end of the day, it's still like, it's really showing its age as far as like, she really just doesn't have hardly any agency. Uh, she doesn't mm, really seem to be at least, I mean, she seems to maybe be doing some stuff. Like, on her own. But as soon as James Bond shows up, she's mostly just kind of following him around. Yeah, they they kind of <clears throat> developed her to be, like, a really good spy, you know, uh, where she kind of, like, already knew how the sub worked. Um, she knew what he drank. Uh, which, by the way, minus spy points on Bond, like, when she brings him the drinks later, like... Why he wouldn't think he might have been poisoned? Yeah, don't don't drink that martini. Like, it, it, yeah, right. It's, it's right. been it's been in the hands of yeah, our, yeah. an enemy Russian agent with an opposing agenda. Um, right. <laughs> yes. But but uh, but yeah, they they kind of developed her as like this really good, capable, competent spy, and she really didn't do too much. I mean, she's get she gets her blow the cigarette gas into his face and steal the microfilm. Oh, that, that was actually uh, uh, my number three best tradecraft. I was going to wait till we got there, but when they get the film after the archaeological dig site thing where they get away from Jaws, she's just like playing the oh, I'm so tired, and she's like getting her hand on, you know, she's kind of like seducing Bond a little bit, and he puts her hand, his hand up her skirt, and then and then she really just wanted a cigarette. And uh, but it wasn't that in her cigarette, she had some sort of like uh, knockout powder that she blew through the cigarette. So that's my my number three best tradecraft was her seducing uh, Bond 
and because he had, he had possession of the film and wasn't going to give it to her, so she just kind of seduces him a little bit and blows powder in his face and then takes off. She gets to do that, yeah. You just yeah. mentioned really quick, uh, but uh, about how she knew about the sub. You're talking about how she she knows how the uh, functions on his Lotus submarine car operate and he says how did you know that what the buttons did and she's like oh i stole the plans for the submarine two years ago right (laughs) that's nice uh i love when she just straight decks the guy on the liparous bay that grabs her Um, right when she like pulls out her hair and then like punches him out yeah that was nice Mm -hmm. but you know like when uh not blowfield stromberg stromberg captures her she doesn't make any attempt to escape mm-hmm. um you know she's just kind of sitting there waiting for james to come and rescue her which is you know lame on on several levels mm-hmm. uh and and stromberg even said that you know like you you know sorry that i had to restrain you but you have a tendency to violence that has to be controlled and <laughs> it's like seriously i punched one guy in this entire movie <laughs> Yeah, she hasn't really shown herself to be very violent. What I don't like about her, and this is going to go back and forth with Bond as well. Um, You know, like I said before, like Bond should have interrogated her when he ran into her at the pyramids. I mean, something's up here. He can tell that she's an enemy, even if he doesn't know anything else about her. Uh, They're going to meet again pretty soon at the club since they both know that Max Calva has the microfilm. And when she shows up at the club, he knows who she is and says so. So even if he didn't know who she was at the pyramids, you know, mm-hmm. maybe he did a quick, like, call in to find mm-hmm. out, which that would be plus five points. But when she shows up there, he knows who she is and he says so. He just says, like, hey, I know who you are. And she's pretty much eager to tripping all over herself to let him know that she knows who he is. And that's just huge minus five points for both of them, you know, like, and, and that's what you do in these Bond films that makes them so like, not really spy films is uh-huh. when, you know, like Roger Moore said, you know, he said, you know, these movies are so silly. Like I'm playing a secret agent that everybody knows my name and what my favorite <laughs> drink is. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when you do know who, when you have figured out who the enemy agent is, you don't tell them, you know, you, you sit back and you. Yeah. That's to... our, that's our spies like us. Rule number one is don't tell anybody that, you know, what you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. For and, sure. and they just start flexing on each other from the get go. That's their first moment. You know, the typical bond where it's like a nice club. They're both dressed snazzy and they're both kind of flirty with each other and they just start flexing. Yeah, I'm a spy. I know everything about you. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm a spy, and I know everything about you. And it's 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 always <laughs> the same with the villain too. The villain, like everybody, just can waste no time in announcing to everyone around how cool they are. Right. You know? <laughs> um. Yeah, it just doesn't work for me on the drinks thing. When he first, I mean, this is plus style points. When he first ordered her drink for her. I just thought he was being a douche. Right. But the fact she counters by ordering his drink and that since we know James Bond, we know what his drink is, that says to us like, oh, aha, she's read his file. Uh, right. 
So plus style points for that, for sure. It's still minus five points because again, you know, like the less your enemy knows about what you know, the better. Right. And then just while we're in that part of it too, uh, you know, he, he even introduces himself as James Bond to Kalba, which again, minus five points for the same reason that we've been hammering on here. At some point, the series does seem to have completely merited itself to just having that line, you know, Bond, James Bond in every film. Like it just right. has, it, it just has to be there, even when it's stupid and a non-spy move. And that's my number one worst tradecraft. Might be my number one worst tradecraft of James Bond. Period. Overall, <laughs> it's just that, you know, that he he doesn't use aliases. I mean, he kind of yeah. does here and there, but just overall, again, uh, just just seems to want to just like you said, flex on people. And, yeah. And everyone does that shit. What else did we have for Triple X? I think we pretty much got her covered. You have uh, well, I mean, the the ruins, she like had a strap and didn't pull it out. I mean, maybe she was hiding an ace. I don't know if that's a minus five points or a plus five points. Because we find out later she did have a gun in her purse. She didn't pull it out till Jaws almost had bonds. So maybe she was holding on to like an ace up the sleeve. And just playing the like damsel in distress, so maybe plus five points. But I remember you and I watching it. We're like, does she not have a gun? Right. Oh yeah, like, that was one of my questions. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I thought about this as well. And yeah, I mean, you could say maybe plus five points to not necessarily let Bond know that she's armed. But I say no right. because he should assume. I mean, she's a Russian fucking secret agent. Yeah, <laughs> he should assume that she's armed. And she should assume that he assumes that. So there's no reason to keep it a secret. Pull the gun out. Right. As soon as as soon as the fighting starts. And then we come to James Bond himself. Um, I'll start with uh, the British flag on the parachute. Uh, yeah. When. <laughs> that was great. I gotta, great way to open the movie. I got to admit it made me feel like a little kid, like instant, instant rush of fuck. Yeah. When, I mean, for one thing too, that scene was amazingly well shot when he Mm -hmm. skis off the edge of the cliff and he's falling. Sound goes completely silent and falling and falling and falling some more. And it just seems like it's going on forever. This, this shot is just so perfectly planned and the payoff of when he pulls the shootout and it's got the the Union Jack on it was just like such a fuck yeah moment, right? I looked into it and uh, and found out that uh, uh, during a screening, one of the early screenings uh, that they had in England, there was one that was attended by uh, Prince Charles, and even Prince Charles like stood up, like the whole <laughs> theater went nuts, and even and you know royalty is not supposed to do that. You know what I no. mean? <laughs> no. British culture in general is supposed to be stoic. Oh, yeah. From yeah, yeah. what I understand. And, and royalty should probably be extra stoic. And for him to stand up for that flag, that, that would go, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think that's amazing. It's minus spy points, though, for having your country's flag on your parachute if you're a yeah, yeah. fucking agent. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's James Bond for you. 
Yeah. Uh, let's compare. You know, we're we're coming in here. We're on high alert for you know having been uh, mentally predisposed to like like get ready for some cringy cringy Bond sliminess, like we saw in from Russia with love. Um, the sliminess in here, I thought, is is a bit dialed back. Quite a bit, actually. You think so? He yeah. seemed. I mean, he was still kind of a playboy. Like, I personally wouldn't have liked meeting a guy like that because I'd have been like, "Wow, this guy's a douche." But mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, like, I think it was a lot classier than Russia would love. Peak sliminess in this movie is the part with the Egyptian girl, but it's it's not like he went out and and I don't know. It's not like he was making a play on her. He's just right. making a sleazy comment about her play on him right and so <laughs> you know it's it's cringy but uh yeah he he just didn't bother me as much um yeah there was a bit where he said okay so here he's he's at stromberg's base and they've noticed uh and and amasov is posing as his wife they notice the model of the Lipris and the the lady Naomi that's given them the tour or whatever says that uh you know it was built like nine months ago and it's the biggest tanker in the world. Yeah. And and she says, uh, you know, besides the Karl Marx, you mean. And he says yeah. he says <laughs> something which seems really douchey. Again, it's kind of like the drink part where at first I was like <sighs> Um, but then it kind of turned out I think to be cooler than it looked at first you know he says oh darling it's it's remarkable the tidbits of information you store away you know like yeah (laughs) you know just like pat her on the head like she's fucking 12 or something right I I think he might have been caught off guard or like threatened by how much she knew because you know it was probably like a diva moment for him and I think that's what they were going for like his his spotlight she she stole some of his spotlight you know and so he's just got to like kind of like save face or something i think that's what they were going for you know it it'd be really nice if he actually was allowed to show himself feeling a little bit more threatened uh by a right. woman than they allow him to do in these films i think i think they get that a lot better in the in the craig films which um super looking forward to discussing sometime but I thought about this scene again and I realized, wait a second. No, this is actually good because she just fucked up. We've seen her a few times. We've She gets a few, a, at least a couple lines where she expresses like her pride in mother Russia. And this is one of those, you know, she, she heard that it was, you know, they're calling it the biggest tanker in the world. And she's like, no, the Russians have the biggest tanker in the world. Why do you, why do you need to jump in like that? Right. That's that's a little bit of like, you know, fucking up your cover. And I think, so I think his line is, is his little like covering for her, kind of chiding her, like saying like, Hey, you know, Ixnay on the Arl Marks A. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Definitely don't let them know that you know a lot about Russian subs. Right, or that you're like super proud of and want to jump in and, and just defend yeah. Russia on on the dick measuring contest of what the biggest fucking tanker? Come on, 
Yeah. So, so I'm gonna give him plus five points for that, and not call it a slimy move. And uh, I'll say it's my number three best tradecraft of the movie, covering for her mistake. Another thing that we're uh, meant to expect from a James Bond film is, uh, you know, his little quips that he makes right after he murders someone. Right. And I, I'm think I'm guessing is it James Bond that invented that? You know, because I mean, mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger is like I think the most famous for it. Yeah. Uh, but I. I don't know when it actually started, but it could have been James Bond that it was invented for. But he misses almost no opportunities to to do these things. Um, one of them, though, like is it's not a it's not a line, but just the when he finds dead Calba at the phone booth in the club, and mm-hmm. he takes the out of order sign off of the phone booth and and puts. It oh on my the god! Guy. Yeah. It's completely unnecessary. Like, did audiences laugh at that at the time? Did they think it was cool? It's it's not cool. It's it it seemed like that end of the, when we did the man who knew too much fifty six the the end joke that just seemed like Jimmy Stewart wrote the joke and that's how they ended the movie. Uh, it, it seems like one of those gags. They were like, we need a gag. Let's just have him put an out of order sign on this dead body. Right. And I mean, it's kind of different. Like when you make when you make the stupid quips, like after, like if you if some guy's been trying to kill you and you've been trying to kill them for like you know a bunch of time and it's all been really tense, like maybe you say something like kind of cowboyish, like at the end, just kind of as a like mm, like a adrenaline dump, you know, get the stress out of your system or something, you know, right? Uh, you know, because because maybe you were actually scared for your life and now it's like ah, I live, and you feel good about living, and you feel good about standing over the body of your dead enemy. Um, but this is just a dead guy he just found, you know? Yeah. Like, like making a joke out of that is just so wrongheaded. And right. uh, they they need to stop it, but I don't think they will. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, he's got a, he's a very quippy character. In general, yeah, I don't. There's one, like I said before, his one-line zingers like are are relentless, and I rolled my eyes many times watching this film. All the jokes he makes about when she's trying to uh, get the car into gear or the truck. Oh, and he's making like yeah, the woman driver joke. Yeah, he makes like he makes like six of them, and I feel like like it's okay in the writers' room to come up with six of them, but you could leave five of them on the cutting room floor. One is it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and this, this weird thing where like, you know, they're, they're in threat of their lives and she needs the keys and he's just kind of dangling them in front of her. Like, huh, huh, huh. it's like, right. it's like a fucking eight year old move. Right. Like, right. Seriously. Like elementary school crappiness. Yeah. Man. Didn't like it. I like him a lot more. I like him a lot more when he's just, uh, when he's when he's being serious, I think Roger Moore's just fine. Um, yeah, the times where he was like actually serious in this film, he was actually uh, bearable and and kind of charming a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I kind of like him. I kind of like him. I just don't like his quips. Yeah. They don't they don't they don't really feel very natural. Right. I always say I always say you know part of a part of an actor's job, in my opinion, is to be 
an advocate for your character. And Mm -hmm. when you're given a line that doesn't feel right or feel natural, like you should raise your hand and say something and like have a discussion (laughs) with the director about it. And I don't think Roger Moore ever had that conversation like once in his career. I think he just read what was on the page. And if it was stupid, he just kind of just delivers it, gives his little kind of, sideways eye roll kind of wah wah and 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 moves along more bond tropes would be gadgets gadgets uh i thought the gadgets i'm not the hugest fan of of bond gadgets i mean submarine car submarine car i'm actually like fuck yeah you know it's that kind of movie let's do it i'm down with submarine but when we when we when we did with from Russia with love, I, one of the things that really bugged me was that just kind of Q had like this crystal ball foresight and gave him the exact gadgets he would need for the exact situations that he was going to come into. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of felt this one didn't do that. Like we had some cool gadgets, but they were more like ga- like you know in the opening skiing scene with the ski pole. Like if you're going out skiing, you're probably going to need a rifle. So let's hide a rifle and a ski pole. And, and he does. And and so it seems like a lot of the gadgets are general. These might help for specific situations versus like in From Russia With Love, it was like every single gadget was made specifically for the exact specific situation that he was in. Did you ever watch Knight Rider? The TV show? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Remember like every episode would start with like them explaining this new feature that they'd added to Kit? And it would always right. be like that feature was like what saved the day at the end of the episode. And then they pretty much, right, never, yeah. and then they would never use it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he knows in this case, like he knows he's going after some microfilms. So he has a little, uh, he has a little gadgety microfilm reader. Uh, he knows he's going to be doing a lot of underwater stuff. So he's got the submarine car and the, what else has he got? He's got that little, uh, jet ski and a duffel bag kind of thing. Uh-huh. It's not overdone. It's, no. It's okay. Of course, we do see Q pulling off a lot of really, really silly stuff at the Egyptian base. Oh, yeah. Those assassin gadgets were... Oh, yeah. They were they were pretty silly. The spring was the best one. The, the, the giant spring under the chair to, like, toss the guy into the air to die. I... I <laughs> yeah, they were pretty silly. Those kind of they things, were definitely a giant spring like that. It kind of almost helps a little that the movie mm-hmm. just kind of lets you know, like, hey, it's okay. We know that this is stupid stuff, but we're doing it. This is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> only once in the movie, and only briefly, does he use an alias, and that's when he goes to meet Stromberg. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't tease out, see if you can help me. Like I couldn't tease out exactly what the purpose of the meeting was. Um, I mean, they had, they had gotten a clue that Stromberg is involved, right? Right. So maybe you do want to do your homework on him. Um, Right. But it it looks like he set himself up as a, as a, a marine biologist and then they get an invitation from Stromberg to come to the station to see the fish. So I think that scene was mainly for Stromberg to figure out who he was. And that's when Jaws tells him that's Bond in Triple X. 
Yeah, it seemed when Naomi came to get them, it it seemed like it was uh, like it's a pre-planned thing. Suggests that they had had an appointment. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also asks if he's on holiday, which suggests she doesn't know anything about like even what he's pretending to be there for. Um, so, I mean, I think I think we're supposed to think that Bond had, uh, you know, I mean, one case would be like Bond just goes and hangs out in a village that he knows Stromberg is watching for some reason right. and thinks that Stromberg will, uh, you know, say, Hey, there's this Marine biologist around. Like maybe I should have a talk with him, uh, mm. which is weird. If, but if, if Bond, like as the Marine biologist, like, you know, reached out to Stromberg and said like, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about blah, blah, blah. Well, when they talk, they don't actually talk about anything. Bond doesn't mm-hmm. get any information from Stromberg. Mm-hmm. Um, on the plus side, I mean, they notice the model of the super tankers. So, and like you said, the the meeting's got a movie purpose for Stromberg to like. When you say like, okay, the purpose is for Stromberg to identify them. Is that like, are you saying that Stromberg's motivation as a character, like he, that's what he wanted to do, or are you just saying like the movie just wanted us to have that information set up? I think it's either or whatever, because uh, right after they leave the station, Jaws comes up to Stromberg and goes, who are they? Or was it Jaws? Yeah, it's Jaws. Some, yeah, and it's Bond. Oh, I guess he does talk. <laughs> but he, uh, I think he just nods uh, there. Yeah, it's James Bond. Somebody tells Stromberg it's James Bond in X. Well, and I think it was Jaws. No, it's, so it's so it's he just asks Jaws, like, is it the same two from Cairo? And Jaws nods, oh, okay. and then Stromberg says, it's James Bond and Amasova. So right. he, he already knew who they were. So I don't know why he agreed to meet with them. I don't know what he... Well, I guess, okay, so he wanted to... He suspected these two people might be James Bond and Amasova. Right. So that's why he took the meeting. But I don't know why James Bond wanted the meeting. Overall, the well, meeting was just closer. entirely contrived. And, and Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work mechanically. It just, it yeah, just what, 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 checks off a few was, boxes that the movie needs to check off for us. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but one of the, one of the things that did bother me was them going back uh, to kind of like scope out. And that's when we get to see the car and submarine. We know he can track submarines and they're going up to the station. So there's probably cameras and windows and they get spotted and chased off and drive off. You know, so that was kind of silly. But when they finally drive off a motorcyclist comes after them and tries to like blow them up and then a helicopter comes after them and tries to shoot them out then you know like there's several moments like it was a really big assassination attempt a very loud one and i kind of wanted to give my worst tradecraft number two uh i mean it was a cool blowing up stuff scene and driving a, a car and screeching tires type of scene but with a helicopter i mean it's those typical old helicopter scenes are like, we got a helicopter and we're shooting stuff. Well, there's a, heli- um, there's a helicopter scene in every James Bond movie. Fun fact. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Well, one, you had to have the helicopter, but I don't think the assassination attempt, it's, it's very conspicuous uh, and very loud. I, I mean, they're, they, you know, they could have had the, the, the bell lady who gave the invitation, like slip into his room and poison them. Or t- I don't know. Like it, it just, I don't think 
any spy organization would attempt an assassination like this. It was it was very loud. Right. Yeah, you're just playing yeah. into an action set piece for sure. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned a minute ago about like how the we know that Stromberg has submarine tracking technology. Right. And, and and maybe, you know, they should have been able to spot the the little subcar getting snuggling up next to the base. I'm not sure about yeah. that because the car is so small. But right. they find okay, so after all this, they're they're they figure their lead is for some reason they figure their lead is deliberous. Uh, you know, that they saw the model of in, in his mm-hmm. base. That's pretty big jump in logic right there, actually. Um, but it, I mean, to their credit, you know, James was interested enough to like check in with HQ about that. And he finds the very interesting fact that, uh, that, that ship is never seen in any port after it was launched nine months ago, which is very strange. Right. So I guess that's why they look into it. Um, I will say it should have been next to impossible to find out find that super tanker the ocean is a very very big place even with modern satellite imaging if you don't even know where to start looking like good fucking luck yeah (laughs) right (laughs) and when they do find it what do they try to do they try to sneak up on it in a submarine when (laughs) the first thing we established in this movie is that stromberg (laughs) can track submarines by satellites (laughs) minus five points right they don't even they don't even recognize that his subtracking is is an advantage that he has. So, you know, obviously they get captured. What were they what were are they surprised when they get captured? You know, like these other submarines just disappeared. You know, it looks know. like they were surprised, so you can't even try and make it sound like they got caught on purpose. I don't I don't think that's what the movie wants us to believe. I think the movie wants us to believe this was a good idea and they they just get caught. Yeah. And it was it wasn't a good idea like at right. all. Like the one thing you know is that Stromberg can find submarines and make them disappear. And yeah. when, when when disappear, you should assume that they got sunk, which yeah. uh, is not what you want. And speaking of which, like Q should have uh, okay, when they first get the idea the notion in their head that maybe someone can track submarines and they're like the navy guys are like no that's impossible and q's like no that's not impossible in fact it's totally easy (laughs) (laughs) that's right yeah which uh but i i do want to finish bond off with uh, my number two best tradecraft um the whole execution i think was really silly like they had to pull out like like a what's it what's it called the thing that turns on the warhead uh, oh the detonator the detonator detonator. Mm -hmm. yeah but the 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 crew of the giant tanker holds themselves up in the command room with like impenetrable walls and bond notices this weird ball camera thingy and so his plan is to get a detonator out of one of the warheads in the armory which we have a whole tense scene with. And then he's going to make a bomb and then ride that camera. And as it gets closer to one of the walls, he's going to toss a bomb and then unplugs the camera so that they're like, what the hell's going on? And, and then it blows up and then they can all get into the command room. Um, 
I, I, I liked him getting his idea on like thinking on his feet of how are we going to get in the command room? Um, but I, I do think a lot of it was silly, but yeah, that's what I'm going to mark as my number two best trade craft. Okay. Yeah. Not a lot of, not a lot of trade craft at all. Like in, in the last part of the movie, because once we get into action phase, like that's really all bond movies do is they, they kind of toy around with the spy thing. They kind of, uh, brag about how cool of a spy James is, and then they just feed him into action scenes. And yeah. unfortunately, or for, fortunately for me, the way depending on how you want to slice it, it's when we get to the Liparis, which is like pretty much like the last forty-five minutes of the film is is them uh, being captured there, and then the villain get in the way and then this big huge battle to like liberate the submarines mm. this big huge battle was really good for, for oh yeah like i don't even yeah. want to say just for its time like it was action-packed yeah uh very elaborate you've got hundreds of people in in these shots all mm-hmm. doing stuff they're all yeah. falling <laughs> off of ledges and shooting each other and throwing grenades like constantly you got little cars like being blown to the side and driving into the water and just all sorts of nice stuff. I would actually say that it was, you know, I, when watching this movie, I don't know. Actually, let's do this in debriefing. Agents, please report for debriefing on this operation. The director will see you now. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, when I was watching this movie, I was. I mean, there was the Union Jack parachute thing, which I still just, the rush of adrenaline I got off of that is almost indescribable. Just a childlike joy flooded my entire being, and I totally dug it. After that, I'm just sitting there taking notes and just basically being judgy about the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is about two-thirds of the way through, and it is kind of a long film. But it's about two-thirds of the way through the submarine car thing kind of piqued my interest. And that moves pretty fast through some some other action scenes and into when the Lipperus captures the submarine. And then we see the interior there. I really, that was the first time I started enjoying the movie. Like, literally enjoying. And that pretty much didn't stop uh, all the way through to the end. And uh, I, I would say at the end of the day, this is a movie that I was just doing for this podcast, blah, blah. And for my own education uh, as an armchair scholar of movies. But yeah. <laughs> it won me over at the end. And, and I feel pretty okay about this movie. And it's the, it's the big battle. It's, it's the Lipperus. It's, it's Jaws and the Lipperus. Those are the stars of the film. Jaws is definitely the best part. To me. Um, But still, it is what it is. My final star rating is a three. Uh, If it wasn't for that end of the movie, it it was probably floating along at a 2.5. But satisfactory, satisfactory uh, resolution. I could watch this again someday, but just not anytime soon. I, I, I'm typically, I mean, like, not that you are, but I'm typically not really a big Bond fan just because it's more of an action film than a spy film. Um, and after that big parachute awesome moment, I don't think it really kept the tone going. Um, 
But like you said, Jaws is definitely the star of the film. So I kind of enjoyed him and watching him do what he does. Um, and yeah, the, the action at the end was a lot of fun. But I think I'm going to stay consistent with my last Bond rating and give it a two. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't think I would want to watch this again. Um, I. I do lo- like. Like we had said, R- Roger Moore is a lot less sleazier, and uh, there's some moments that are kind of win. But uh, for the most part, I was just kind of like, ah, when's this going to be over? Like, because the he, the the only tradecraft we really got to look at was mostly at the beginning, and then it just like is like typical Bond stuff, and then there's a big action scene at the end. So. I, I, like just as a spy film fan, you know, I I definitely wasn't that like interested in it, and just watching it as like a a person that likes movies and stuff, it, it's I don't know, it didn't get me. Uh, so I'm gonna stay consistent with my Russia with love rating and give it a two. All right, um, tradecraft review. My number three best tradecraft was uh, him. It's subtle, but it's it's one of the best pieces i i think she did screw up when she uh blurted out about the karl marx and uh you know that way of covering for her mistake even though it seemed like it was very uh condescending right uh it's actually kind of kind of the right play there uh yeah number two the hitman at the house you know i i'm just so used to I don't know why this has to get my number two best trade crap. It's just, I'm so conditioned to these bad movies, just having the bad guys just show up wherever they show up for no reason. But yeah, I was just happy that when I thought this one through, I was like, yeah, it does make sense. He would have been watching that house for anybody that came by. And uh, my number one best, I'm not sure who did it or why, but when you think about it, sabotaging the microfilm that you're waving around in front of potential buyers is actually a good move. Number one, best, and uh, plus five points. Most of. Uh, my number three best tradecraft was Triple uh, X seducing Bond to sh- you know blow the c- cigarette powder in his face so that she could get the microfilm. I thought that was really well played. Uh, my number two best tradecraft was uh, Bond figuring out how to get through the command room. Uh, thinking on his feet real quick. And then my number one best tradecraft for sure was Jaws pretending not to know they were in the back of the van and took them to like some remote ruin spot and then still pretended to not know that he, they were in the van and then like led them into a place where he could like drop a big rock on them. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, it was easy to find, easier to find bad tradecraft in this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the subtracting thing uh, was a big one for me. Like I said, the one thing we know about this guy is he knows how to track submarines. He knows where you are at any moment if you're in a submarine. So don't go at him in a submarine. Right. (laughs) Worst is uh, between the two of them is, you know, like all these. I mean, yeah, it's I understand it's supposed to be sexy. It's supposed to be winky. You know, that they uh, are like, I love your term flexing on each other about yeah. how much they know about each other, but that's not that's right. not what you should do as, as spies. Don't put that in a spy movie. And yeah. <laughs> uh, just my number one worst, Bond, James Bond, stop introducing yourself, you dumb fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my number three worst tradecraft was the club owner not having guards anywhere. 
and him like getting called to a fake phone call and then getting killed with nobody seeing him. Uh, my number two worst tradecraft was uh, the very conspicuous assassination with a motorcycle shooting like a rocket launcher sidecar uh, to like a car, like a clown car packed full of guys with guns. <laughs> and then and then a giant helicopter with like massive machine guns shooting at this car on a road in the public. Um, I, I think if you're going to assassinate two spies, you might want to be a little bit more quiet about it. Uh my number one worst tradecraft was why Bond didn't follow Jaws into the tomb when he went after Fezzik. Uh, I, I, he could have saved the guy's life, got more information. He, there, it just didn't make sense. He just kind of hung out. I'm just going to stand here by this rock while the, the guy and this other guy go into a tomb. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, it was silly. Uh, park benches? Mm-hmm. Um. I kind of want to go with the one mainly because I don't want to give 0.5 because I think it's a little bit more believable than our man Flint. Wow. You know, well, we've got from Russia with love was a 2.5. Not necessarily because of Bond stuff, but the villain stuff was, was okay. But yeah, I think, I yeah. think you're right. I think you're right. I think this is actually less, this is more action well, and less the, the, even. There was no, there was no villain tradecraft in this one. We gave it a two point five because of the villain in Russia with Love used tradecraft. Yeah, this is this is in comparison. This is more action, less spy. I agree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. What do we? What do we? Let's see. One. Well, our ones are are spies like us and man who knew too little. I think we can do better than that. Yeah, but then that puts it at Lefem Nikita. Does it? And I, I want to say Lefem Nikita. I'm thinking because I'm thinking you want to do 1.5, and, and I want to say Lefem Nikita was a little bit more trade crafty. I guess. I, yeah. I guess. I guess we're in a corner there. Yeah. I'll. I'll. I'll go with a one. There's very little. Yeah. Spy, there's very little spying in this movie, and definitely nothing that you should uh, take notes from. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. This is not. This is not an intelligence 101 film. Yeah. You know, I mean, fun fun to talk about, but not a lot to talk about. I mean, you got your yeah. last 45 minutes of the movie is... Blowing just, stuff up. Yeah, blowing stuff up. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's do it. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin MacLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.